So as I was preparing um, for this week, this has come from a lot of conversations that I've had uh, with you, uh, with, with people in our body. Over the past couple months, there's a, there's a certain thread that I notice coming through a lot of our stories right now. I continually hear things like there's just a heaviness in life right now. Uh, life is just kind of too much to carry, and I find myself, it's almost like trying to run through mud. There's this darkness right now, I've heard some say. Sometimes it's like, man, when, when God is just evident in my life, when, it, when my prayers just feel like I don't even get them out of my mouth and they're already up in heaven, you know, like it's just, it's easy, and there's almost this light. But right now in the season of my life, there's just a darkness, I don't know what it is. I mean, when we say darkness, sometimes we mean evil darkness, and that can have a hand in it. But sometimes it's just this, it's like the light was dimmed. Things aren't as bright. The, the colors aren't as vibrant as they used to be. Life just feels dark right now. The word dryness comes up. There's times when we think about when life is good, and it's like being in a well-watered garden. And growth just kind of happens you don't even need to do the work. It just kind of seems to happen on its own. But many in our body right now are saying it just feels dry. Like I picture those desert scenes where it's so dry, the ground is like cracked and broken. And many are saying that's just what life feels like right now. It's just dry. Things are hard. Growth comes very hard. Many are overwhelmed. There's just so much coming at me. There's so many demands that I just, I don't feel like I can do it all. Again, it's too heavy to carry, and I start to get weighed down. Many feel anxious right now. There's so much coming at me, and I can't process it all, and I'm trying to figure it all out, and I'm trying to do the right thing and be the right person, but I just, I know I'm failing, and it leads to this sense of anxiety within us. Some use the term depressed, and I've said this the last couple of weeks as I've been sharing my own story. I, I'm someone who is in one of these seasons right now. I use the word depressed very carefully uh, because there is a thing, there is a clinical depression. Uh, there is a, a very real thing of clinical depression. And so every time we use the word depressed, I don't necessarily want to go straight there, but I also don't want to negate it and say, make it seem like that's not a real thing. That is very real. There's chemical imbalances and there, there are, uh, such deep wounds that some have in their past that it leads to a very clinical depression. But there's also times when emotions just feel depressed, when, when the highs aren't, just aren't that high anymore, and life is just kind of depressed. Uh, another scriptural word for this would be downcast. Again, that idea that life is so heavy, my back begins to bend trying to carry it, and my gaze goes down. And as, as I talk to many who are in our body, again, I am in one of these seasons myself. We find ourselves here and we don't always know why. It's not like, well, this happened and so life just took a turn. There are many who are just going, I, I just kind of found myself here and I don't know why and I feel stuck. I feel stuck in this season. And, and, and as hard as I can try, it's like trying to run through deep mud. When we feel stuck like this, I've just lost all sense of momentum. You can run real fast into mud. What happens when you get there? 
First time your foot sinks in, you lose all momentum. And all of a sudden, like, it's jarring what happens to you. And one of the hardest things, think of a truck stuck in mud, is to actually build up momentum. All the energy you put in, wheels are just spinning. You're throwing mud everywhere, but the car is staying right where it was. We lose momentum when we're stuck in these places. We have a very low capacity when we're stuck in this place. Uh, when one of the ways that we talk about capacity or energy here in our churches, we use the term buckets. Uh, Dan Scarrow, who was someone who came and, and taught here a couple years back, and he had this illustration he would use to talk about our different energy capacity in life. And he used buckets. He said, all of us are basically made with four buckets. The, in these buckets, we carry all of our energy. The fuller the bucket, the more energy we have. The lower the bucket, the less energy we have. He says there's a, a physical bucket, an emotional bucket, a mental bucket, and a spiritual bucket. And as we go through life, they naturally drain. But in times like this, when we're stuck in these seasons, it's hard to get them to fill back up. Here's the, the, the way that he talks about these buckets is he says they all leak. All of us have holes in those buckets. And they naturally leak. But when we're stuck in these places, we kind of can't fill them fast enough. And our, our capacity goes down. I think of Sydney in that story and going, some days I just, I don't know if I can get out of bed. I just don't have the energy. I just, I'm so down. I can't even do the things I would normally do. We have very low motivation. Okay, I know that something needs to change. I recognize I'm not in a place I want to be. But I kind of just don't even have it in me to try something new. And so many of us just remain stuck in these places. For me, it feels like, think about day four of a string of overcast days. When you just kind of, you look outside the window and you go, oh, again. And noon comes and I'm already ready for a nap. You know what I mean? Like I just, I have no energy. When I was younger, many of you in here younger than me, you hear that and you're like, crazy. I don't know. Sun, no sun, doesn't matter. For me, the older I get, the more that kind of stuff affects me. And there comes these seasons in life where no matter what the weather is, it feels like that string of overcast days. Is this making sense to anyone but me? Okay. So let me ask this question. Is it a sin to be stuck in this season? Is it a sin to be stuck in that heavy, depressed, dry season? This is where you can answer. It is not. But for far too long in the church, we've kind of treated it like it is. We've kind of treated it like, eh, maybe kind of like, think of Norman, the other pig. Why don't they just try harder? Why don't they just quit it? For far too long, the, the message of the church to people in this kind of situation has been, stop it. Just get happy. What is wrong with you? And, and we quote verses like Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. Why are you depressed? The Bible says rejoice always. So almost a, what's wrong with you? How dare you? As Christians, we're just supposed to be singing and dancing in the streets like idiots all the time, right? Just so happy with everything. Like, no. 
There are hard times. There are times where we get stuck, and it is not a sin to be stuck. It is not a sin to be in those dry desert times. I will say we have to be careful in those times because all of a sudden sin starts to look a whole lot better. But to be in that place, first of all, I just want you to hear me clearly, you have not necessarily sinned. We're going to talk about some of this a little more in depth, but just to be in that place where it's just hard to read my Bible. Prayers feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling. It is hard to be the husband and father that I know I'm supposed to be or the wife and mother that you know you're supposed to be, or the daughter and sister, brother and son. It's just hard. It feels like stuck in the mud. It is not sin to be there. The Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians, talking to his friends, this is his second letter to them. In his first one, he was more a dad talking to his children. Hey guys, wake up. In 2 Corinthians, he's more a friend now. He's going, hey, we've grown through so much together. And he kind of opens up to them. And he says this, For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that took place when we were in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life. The Apostle Paul found himself, because of the ministry God had called him to, in a place where he even despaired of life. Am I even going to have it in me to wake up tomorrow? This is too much. How many of you uh, have heard this or maybe even quoted this? God will never give you more than you can handle. It's a lie. Many people, it's one of those things like, don't be like the grasshopper, be like the ant, that people think is in the Bible, but it's not. God will give you more than you can handle. Life will give you more than you can handle because you are finite. You will find yourself in over your head. The Apostle Paul did. God will never give you more than he can handle. And that is such good news. And that is something we have to grab onto because we know, we've all found ourselves in places where I can't handle this. This is too much. The waters are too deep. And so if we're just saying God won't give you more than you can handle, then what that says is suck it up, buttercup. Get to work. Work harder. God wants you to carry a heavier load. Pick it up. Get moving. But instead in those times to go, Lord, this is too much for me. I need for you to carry the load for me. He will never give you more than he can handle. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes his life and ministry a few chapters later in 2 Corinthians. He uses words like this, pressured, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, given over to death, wasting away and afflicted. This is how Paul describes life and ministry. This is not happy dancing, singing in the streets. This is life is hard. Paul, was at, Paul had recognized I was in a spot where I was stuck. This was not victory after victory. I went to this place, Paul would say, and, and I spoke, I was obedient to God, and they stoned me to death. I woke up, but it was not easy. It was more than I could handle. But Paul understood the power that Christ had put in him. God, Paul understood how much greater what God could handle was than what Paul could handle so in context, here's how Paul described his life and ministry. 
Now we have this treasure, this treasure being the presence of God, the light of Christ in our lives. We have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We were pressured in every way, but not crushed. We were perplexed, but we were not in despair. We were persecuted, but we weren't abandoned. We were struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who live are always given over to death because of Jesus, so that Jesus' life may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. Skipping down a few verses. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Listen to this again. Think of everything Paul has been through. He would list it later in this book. Shipwrecked twice. Given uh, 40 lashes save one, which is hit with a stick 39 times by a professional stick hitter. That had happened so many times he lost count. He had been stoned to death and dragged out of a city. And Paul says, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul understood in those times, in those seasons where we're stuck, what we tend to do is we look at our circumstances around us. We look at what is seen. Think of Peter walking on the waves with Jesus, actually walking on the water. What happened to him? Took his eyes off the Lord and put him where? On his circumstances on the waves coming in around him, and he begins to sink. Thankfully, Jesus is so gracious, Peter calls out, and he's right there, pulls him out of the water, and he says, Peter, if you would only keep your eyes on me. We have a natural tendency to put our eyes on what is seen, but Paul is going, remember, there is one who is unseen who is with you. When Paul said that we were persecuted, but we weren't abandoned, guess what? He was abandoned by his friends. They did leave him. The people he could see left him. Yet he was able to go, but I was never truly abandoned. Because the one who is unseen was with me every step of the way. So I was perplexed, but I was not in despair. I was pressured, but I was not crushed. These light and momentary troubles are earning for us an incomparable, eternal weight of glory. Paul understood it is not sin to be stuck. It is actually very common for those who choose to follow Christ closely to get stuck, to find yourselves in over your head, not knowing what way to go, is a very common thing. And he tells us in that time, don't give up, but keep your eyes on what is unseen. It is not a sin to get stuck. I don't want to say this too strongly, so I'm going to throw it out there and maybe we'll walk it back. I'll ask it as a question instead. That's better. Is it a sin to remain stuck? I don't know. It probably depends on our... It is certainly, though, not what God would have for us to sit down in the mud and just say, this is where I live now. Whether it's sin or not, like I said, that's a little hairy. I don't necessarily want to get into that. But is it what God would have for us? Absolutely not. He has so much more for us. And he didn't go anywhere just because you feel stuck. Like Paul would say, 
Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So let me ask this question, and I want your thoughts here. What causes us to get stuck? Is, is using the word stuck, is that an okay word? Like, does that kind of cover some stuff? Because it can look different for all of us, but I think the one common thread is that I just, I can't pull myself out of it. I feel stuck in it. What causes us to get stuck? Life? Life? Yes, 100%. Jamie? So there's that, that control. I feel like I can handle everything and kind of the, the tighter grip I have on it, to be honest, the more stuck I'm going to be. Okay, what else? What causes us to get stuck? Yeah. We get stuck because we've tried to carry it all on our own. And there's that sense that the Lord is even using this to show us, here's your limit. You got to hand it to me. Okay. What else? Why do we get stuck? Yeah, there's a, there's a hopelessness to it. that it's, it's almost a chicken and egg thing. I get a little stuck, and I start, the, the enemy starts whispering, and I start to feel hopeless. And the more I give into the hopelessness, the more stuck I get, which makes me feel even more hopeless, even more stuck. And round and round and round we can go. There, there's a couple ones that I want to point out here, and you guys are, are hitting on all of them. But I, I want to be careful that this is not necessarily an exhaustive list. But just kind of some, some general reasons why we would get stuck. The first cause for stuck, I'm just going to call it bucket-related issues. The, talking about those four buckets that we have, personal, spiritual, uh, mental, and emotional. And when those get down too low, you get stuck. That's how it goes. Those are your, your energy reserves. Think about your gas tank in your car. When it gets empty, you're stuck. Yes? 
No matter what you do, until gas goes in, you're stuck. And so we've been talking uh, a couple different times over the last few months about the principle of sowing and reaping that you find all throughout the scripture, Old Testament and New. There is always this idea that the kind of seeds you plant determines the kind of plant that grows. The work you put into cultivating the soil determines the health of the plant that grows. Remember when we talked about this with relationships a few weeks ago? And the same thing is true here. When it comes to our own lives and leading ourselves well, investing well in ourselves, if you don't do certain things, you're not going to grow. If we don't take care of ourselves physically, let's say all of us look back and we go, some of you are in high school, you don't have the perspective to see this yet, but the rest of us were high schools in the rearview mirror, we go, man, when I was in high school, I could do everything. I could run forever, I could play basketball forever, I could eat whatever I wanted. I didn't have to worry about heartburn, certainly not love handles. Like, are you kidding me? But what most of us did is when we got out of high school, our body started to change, but we kept living the same way. We didn't respect the principle of sowing and reaping. We thought, I can keep sowing just like I did in high school, but I'll keep reaping all the benefits. And so we didn't work out. We didn't eat. We didn't take care of ourselves well. And now we look and we go, I just don't have any energy anymore. If I don't have at least six cups of coffee a day, I don't know if I can make it through. Our capacity dropped and we didn't make the changes necessary to invest in ourselves. We didn't change the way we ate. We didn't, we didn't start working out more. We, we didn't sow like we needed to. And so what we reap now is an empty bucket. The same can happen emotionally. Uh, I, um, my emotional bucket is about this size. We all have different buckets in different areas. Some of you are going to be ultra marathon runners simply because that's the way God made you. I was not built for such things. So all of our buckets look different, but it's how do we grow as much as we're able to in those areas. When I look at emotional capacity, emotional energy, what I, the, the best way I've found it described to me is a greater range of emotions. Years ago, when I first started kind of learning about all this, I didn't even know that like, I was an emotional being. Kim, one day we were talking, and I've shared this story a couple times, and she said, you're either angry or okay. That's it. That's your range. Never too happy, sometimes too mad, but that's about it. She's like, you never get sad. You never just get like joyful when we're playing something with the kids, like angry and okay. And I started to go, ooh, that doesn't sound like that's right. And so as, as I've started to invest and I've started to deal with some things in my past and do the hard work of sowing seeds for emotional health, I've noticed that the range of emotions that I can experience, now I've got at least four or five. <laughs> Again, this is my bucket, so <laughs> don't judge too hard. All the women are going, oh my goodness. All the men are like, wow, four or five. <laughs> is hungry one of them? Like, and it is. <laughs> There's also sleepy. And, no, I don't, <laughs> sorry, I could get too far down that road. But there's this sowing and reaping that happens. And so the first place that we need to check if we feel stuck, am I doing the things that I need to do to grow in the ways that I need to grow? Am I in the word? Am I in prayer? Am I spending time with other believers? And as the scripture says, 
meeting together to encourage one another, spurring one another on to greater love and good deeds, is that happening in my life? Because if I'm not sowing in that, I won't reap the fruit from it. If the last time you read a book was when you were in high school, guess what? Your mental bucket's a little empty. Are you investing in yourself? Are you taking the time to do the hard work, the disciplines that it takes to grow in the ways you need to grow? So it's the first place to check. For many of us, this will help us gain some traction. Because as long as your energy and capacity are low, your motivation is low, your, your desire to change is low. So start here. Are there some changes that I need to make? Do I need to go to bed earlier? When you're tired, all the buckets are connected. When you're sleepy, how hard is it to read your Bible? You want me to sit still and pray? I will fall asleep like that. Well, guess what? My physical bucket's so low, it's dragging the other ones down with it. So I need to make some changes there so that I have the room to change in some of these other areas. Does that make sense? Okay, so the first cause, some bucket-related issues. These are most often self-imposed. We didn't lead ourselves well. We didn't make the changes that we need to make. We sowed bad seed, and we're reaping bad fruit. These are very often, excuse me, self-imposed. Our circumstance changed, and we didn't change with it. The second cause, again, just in some general terms, what I call desert times. I think in the life of Jesus, early on, uh, the very first thing that happened in Jesus' ministry was his baptism. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, we find it. After Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened up for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And there came a voice from heaven, this is my beloved son. I take delight in him. Imagine that. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, understatement of the whole Bible, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached. So Jesus has just come out of this experience like most of us have never experienced in our lives, where God audibly spoke over him, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased God was, was even visibly present in, in a dove coming down and landing on Jesus like most of us have never been to that mountaintop. And then he finds himself in the desert. And we know it was for 40 days. Do you think when he was going in, God was like, look, so just make it 40 days. Don't worry. About it. I don't think he knew it was 40. I think at day 33, he was asking questions like we would have been. How long is this going to go on? Why am I here? What is happening? And here's the craziest part. Who led him there? The Spirit of God led him into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting, for 40 days of dryness in the desert. When we think of wilderness, we tend to think mountains and trees. This was a Middle Eastern wilderness, dry, barren desert for 40 days and then ultimately to be tempted by the enemy. God led Jesus into this place because only in the desert place could Jesus learn to truly be dependent on God. He had had this experience where God said, you are my son, you're my beloved, and it felt great. And then the next day happened, the emotions were gone, 
The scripture says that Jesus had to learn obedience. It wasn't easy for him. He didn't play the God card and just go, I'm miraculously not hungry all the time. And it's not even hot in the desert. He suffered just like we would have suffered. And he was learning obedience to the Father. He was learning in that time to go, is God, is what God says about me true, even if it doesn't feel like it right now? He was learning that. And in these desert times, God is trying to teach us the same thing. In, in C.S. Lewis' book, Screwtape Letters, uh, the quick premise on this, most of us know this, but uh, Lewis wanted to help us get into the mindset of our enemy and how he attacks us. And so he, he kind of created this fictitious world where there was this senior tempter, this demon, who was writing letters to his nephew who was kind of brand new in the gig, and he was trying to walk him through how to be a, a good demon and how to tempt people well. Uh, it sounds weird, but it actually is a really good book. And so there comes a point when Wormwood, who is the nephew, he messes up and he lets the man that he's been tempting, he actually hears the gospel and responds and he becomes a Christian. And Wormwood, we don't have his letters, but you get like from what Screwtape is writing back to him. He's going, I messed up. It's all over. He now belongs to the other side. Oh, woe is me. And Screwtape writes to him and he goes, don't worry. Let me tell you something that happens every single time. He's just come to Christ, and right now, all the emotions are there. And they, they, what do they call him? Your subject, the one that you're supposed to be tempting. He feels great. Give it some time. There will always come a point when the Lord removes his hand, where his presence takes a step back, and the emotions go away. And Screwtape tells him, that's your time to strike. When the emotions aren't there, when it's not easy that's your time to strike. C.S. Lewis later in some other books would describe it like this. When we first come to Christ, we're little babies. And as we grow, we, we start to learn to walk. And your parents did what? They held your hands and they walked with you, right? How many of you have your parents still doing that to you? It'd be weird, right? There came a point when your parents had to take their hands away and say, go. Take what I've taught you and go. Then you learn to ride a bike. And when you learn to ride a bike, mom or dad was there, right? Holding. And then at one point, it was just kind of like two fingers on the back of the seat, but you just, you knew they were there. And then probably third, fourth time out, you look back and they stopped running a while ago and you've been doing it on your own. And what's the first thing that happens? <gasps> oh no. And typically we run into a curb and off we go. But there's always that point where our parents, because they love us, take their hand away. And in these desert times, it's the Lord taking his hand away to see what, if we can actually begin to move on our own speed. If we can begin to move under our own power. Not in spite of him, not like because we don't need him anymore. When I was in one of these desert times uh, a couple years back, I've, again, I've shared this story before, the Lord had been really quiet. It felt like prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. Everything was just hard. And after a couple months, just sitting and like I had been for the whole couple months going, Lord, what's going on? Like, where'd you go? Did I, did I do something? Is there, is there something that I need to start doing? Like, what's going on? The Lord spoke to me and he simply said, when he speaks to me, it's just kind of an impression on my heart. I didn't like hear an audible voice, though some of you may, I don't know. But he said, will you keep coming even when it doesn't feel good? And that was it. That was all I heard. 
And so I had to sit with that and go, it doesn't feel good right now, but am I gonna keep doing what he's already taught me? Am I gonna keep coming even when it feels like the prayers are bouncing off the ceiling? Am I gonna keep choosing to pray anyway? Because I know that he's there. I know that he hears my prayers. I know that he's with me, but it just doesn't feel like it right now. And I had to come to that point of going, I will follow you. I will keep coming even if I never feel your presence again. What you've already done is enough. I'll keep coming for the rest of my life. And in my head, I thought, now that I've said that, like, I'm going to have this time where, like, oh, he's there, and it's great. It was six more months before it felt like the air came back into the room. And, and, and when I would read, man, the, the words were jumping off the page. And when I would pray, it felt like he was actually hearing it. It took another six months. But I had to learn to keep coming in that time. There's a, uh, another way that some people describe this, the dark night of the soul. That time when, when God's presence takes a step back. And many, this is that time where they start to question, is this just my parents' faith? Have I just been doing this because this is like the house I grew up with? Or is this really what I believe? And, and there's this wrestling match that happens in these times. But it is God who brings these times about. Jesus, as he was preparing to leave his disciples, tells us this in John chapter 15. We tend to read it out of context a little bit. Remain in me and I in you, just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. We, we know this, and we, we get that imagery of the branch holding on to the vine and bearing fruit because of it. Now, man, if that branch becomes disconnected from the vine, it withers and it begins to die. But we lose the context sometimes. Jesus is telling them, I'm leaving you. He's told them, I'm going to go, but don't worry. The counselor, the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's kind of, in, in two chapters, he'll give his final prayer over them. But all of this is in the context of Jesus going, things are about to change and I'm stepping away. You're going to feel abandoned in that time. You're going to feel stuck. You're going to be wondering, what, where do we even go now? What do we even do now? And Jesus tells them, continue to abide in me. Remain in me, because it's, it's about to get hard. But you need to keep coming anyway, because you know that apart from me, you can't do anything. Jesus would tell them, there's going to come a time when you won't be able to see me anymore. Keep coming. It will be hard in that time. That's why he was warning them. But keep coming. Because you know that apart from me, you can do nothing. You don't learn to abide when things are easy. Thinking of Jesus coming out of the water and, and hearing God speak identity over him. You don't learn to trust that identity when everything feels great. You only learn in the desert times. The third cause, sin and the enemy. We have an enemy of our souls. And he would love nothing more than to utterly and absolutely destroy us. Sin is his chosen weapon, and we're pretty good at wielding it ourselves. Blatant sin and disobedience will always leave you stuck. Actively living in disobedience to God, he tells you, don't do that, and you do it anyway. 
Maybe it's super clear in his word or you just have that conviction in your heart and you decide, no, I'm going anyway. The only road sin leads down is stuck. Every single time. God will not bless your sin. He doesn't overlook it. He doesn't just go, eh, that wasn't a big one, it's okay. Whenever we actively choose to sin, and I mean like we're aware of it, we're committing sin, it will always, always, always lead us to stuck. But even in that, God is so good. In our stuckness, these are opportunities for our hidden sin to be revealed, which again, some of you have said, Pastor Matt Chandler said it like this, all suffering exposes idols that we didn't even know were there. When you're stuck, pay attention. What do you naturally turn to? Do you, Jamie, if I can use uh, your example earlier, do you reach for even more control? I just wasn't holding on tight enough. I'll white knuckle it even more. Guess what? You have an idol of control. It has been killing you. God's just been gracious enough. But there comes a point when you get old enough where he goes, it's time to deal with this one, and I'm going to step back so that it can come to the surface. Because I know that if you don't deal with this idol, it will destroy you. And so in these times, in these stuck times, even they are beautiful opportunities for grace. Where God allows the sin that has been hidden underneath to come to the surface and now is our opportunity to deal with it. These times expose the sins that we run to for comfort. We're going to keep talking about these over the next couple of weeks and digging down deeper on these. But the Lord may lead us into these times, but it's always for our good and for our freedom. But check this out. But it's always at the expense of our comfort and ease. The Lord will use these stuck times. He promises it. He will use all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. But it comes at the expense of your comfort and ease. You can't grow where it's easy. We love the mountaintops. No one has ever grown on the mountaintops. It's too easy. We just kind of go with the flow and all the emotions are there and it feels great and everybody else is doing it and we're just carried along by it. The only place we truly grow is in the valley, is in the desert place. And God is always desiring to use these in our lives, even if it doesn't feel good. John 10, 10, a thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it, to, have it in abundance. We have an enemy that wants to use these seasons to trap, kill, and destroy us. He wants to turn mud into quicksand and pull us under for that hopelessness and that despair to overwhelm us. But we have a God who desires to use all things to give us life and abundance, even the dry desert times. Even in times that we feel stuck, these are opportunities for him to grow us in our faith, to learn what's really under the surface. But here's step one. We must learn to be gracious with ourselves and others when stuck. Because stuck doesn't mean less valuable. This is the lie that most of us will be tempted to believe. I was more valuable before, but now I'm stuck. I'm down, things are harder. I'm, it's not coming as easy as it used to be. My patience is shorter than it was before. My, whatever it looks like for us. And we have this little tag that whether we know it or not says, and I'm less valuable because of it. 
We have to learn to be gracious with ourselves and with others that may be stuck around us. We have to be so careful not to give the message the church has given for far too long. Deal with it. Get over it. Quit it. Just be happy. We have to learn to be gracious with ourselves and others because stuck doesn't mean less valuable. We all have lies that we believe about ourselves. And when we're stuck, they come to the surface. We believe things like, if I can't be productive, if I can't help anyone out, if I can't even get out of bed today, I'm less valuable. Most of the times we have more harsh words than less valuable. I'm stupid. I'm worthless. What good am I? These are lies. And in these times, they come to the surface and we actually have the opportunity to deal with them, to speak God's grace over ourselves. If people see my weakness, if, if they see my brokenness, if they see my inability to help myself, to pick myself up by my bootstraps, if they see my sadness or my, quote, bad emotions, I'm less valuable. If the mask cracks and people can see through it to what's really underneath, oh no, my stock just dropped. It is a lie. If I can't control my emotions, if I can't control my desires, my situations, if, if I'm out of control, if I'm not put together, if I seem weak, I'll be less valuable. I gotta keep the pretense up. And that is a lie. We must learn to be gracious with ourselves and others when we're stuck because stuck doesn't mean less valuable. I love that book that we had Kim read earlier as we were getting ready for communion, The Tale of Two Pigs. Which one did God value more? No, nah, trick question. Good job. Neither. Both. He, he even had a harsh word for the one, but what was the first message that he gave to Norman, the pig that had it all put together? What was the first thing he told him? Do you remember from the story? I love you. I got some tough things to tell you. This is killing you. You need to put this down, but I love you. And what about the guy that was a complete mess? Couldn't do anything right. What did he need in that time? Did he need God to come and drop the hammer like we tend to expect? No. He needed to hear the gracious voice of the Father speaking over him. I love you. I love you. I love you. In your mess, with your tie on crooked, and man, you got to do something with your hair. And This is a big day. Come on, Sydney. No. He said, I love you, even in the midst of your mess. Did God desire him to remain there and just remain a mess the rest of his life? No. But what he needed to hear in that moment was the gracious voice of the Father, you are loved. Not because of anything you've done, but because I say so. Value does not come from what we bring to the table, from what we can do. Value comes from the price that he was willing to pay to own us. And he was willing to pay everything. You are valuable because he deemed you so. In your mess, on your good days, on your bad days, stuck or up on the mountaintop, you are valuable to the Father because he paid the heftiest price any of us can imagine for you, knowing that you would be stuck. In fact, when he paid it, the scripture says you were his enemy, actively fighting against him. And he called you valuable enough. How much more when you're in a tough season? Be gracious with yourself. Stuck doesn't mean less valuable. So we're going to do something we don't do. Actually, two things we don't do incredibly often in this church. Uh, we're going to do a special music, and we're going to pray for each other. Uh, there's going to be, I'm going to ask the music team, come on up. 
We're gonna do this special music, and I'm gonna ask you, maybe you've heard it before, I, I don't know, don't sing along. Just let us sing it over you. The song is from God's perspective, singing to us. And, and the whole thing is God saying, I'm good and you're loved. The end. It's not about what you do. It's not about earning. You're loved because I'm good and I said so. It's the message of the song. And I want for you to just receive it as we sing it. But I'm also going to ask at the same time, if you find yourself this morning identifying with this just stuck, any of the things that I started, that heaviness, dryness, depressed, whatever it may be, I'm going to ask you to be bold and to stand where you are as we sing this song. And then church, if you're sitting around them, gather and pray. If you're feeling bold enough and you want to share a little bit about what's going on, here's where I'm feeling stuck. Here's what it feels like. Here's how I describe it to kind of help people know a little bit about how to pray. Be bold and do that. If you're not at a spot where you can share, then just stand and remain silent. Church, we know how to pray for each other, right? We know how to pray for someone who feels stuck, right? So just be bold and pray out over them. And then after we're done with the special music, we'll dismiss. Does that make sense? So let me pray. And then if you're in that place, would you stand? Lord Jesus, I am so thankful for the good news of the gospel that says my value is not based on me and what I bring to the table. It's not based on my good days, my bad days, my good seasons, my bad seasons. I'm valuable because you are good and I am loved. May that sink into our souls today, God. Not just words that we hear repeated, but truly may we begin to get it today. May that message take root in our souls. God, especially for those who are, who are in that season now, who are feeling stuck now, may you just speak that over us, I pray, in this time. Be glorified, Father, as we minister to one another. In Jesus' name, amen.